all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're taking your calls during this hour concerning any type of health issue or question that you might have about yourself, or maybe it's someone else in your family. You can send those to us by calling, uh, or call them in rather, by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always send an email to us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. A lot of people uh, can't call in during the hour um, and want to wait. I do want to encourage you to do that during the week. If you have something that pops up, we do read those emails and send them back to you. But we also share those with our audience, particularly if it's something that we think is useful for um, our listeners to to hear. Hope everybody is trying to stay safe. Um, I wanted to, you know, one of our callers last week had a very emotional call right at the end of the hour. And I hated that we didn't have more time to really um, allow them to uh, to talk more. And uh, let me tell you, I've been thinking about um, I've been thinking about her all week long. Certainly been in my prayers for her and her family during this time. And uh, it is a tough time for a lot of people. And uh, we we um, with covid, we're giving out a lot of information. And sometimes that information can sound like it has all emotion sort of pulled out of it. Um, but I did want to say, you know, look, it is a tough, tough time for families. We, uh, although, uh, for those of us who have not, um, lost, um, loved ones in our family, certainly we can't know the full extent of that and all the special circumstances around that. But, um, but certainly our hearts go out to you and, um, uh, you know, that is a, a huge loss, and it's a loss in a lot of ways, uh, as was mentioned last week, where you can't uh, participate in some of the activities that you normally could uh, with the celebration of that person's life. So uh, I, I did want to say that. I didn't have a lot of time to, to say that last week, but I did want to say that to our listener who called in toward the end of the program. Uh, just a quick COVID update. I think most people are following these numbers. Maybe you want to get away from the numbers like me sometimes, but it uh, you just have to have to keep up with it. So uh, nationwide, we are over a million cases now. So we're about a million, one hundred and seventy one thousand uh, confirmed cases of COVID-19. And that's, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand. Sometimes those numbers lag behind because you have to have those confirmed uh, numbers. So it may be a day or two behind, but over a million cases and unfortunately about sixty eight thousand, close to seventy thousand deaths now. From, uh, from COVID-19. In the state of Mississippi, we have reached over 8,000 cases now. Um, the big, uh, uh, you know, over the last couple of days, certainly a, a big jump in cases too. We've had 330 new cases 
from previous. And the total death uh, in the state from COVID-19 is 342 deaths, including 32 in the last day or so. Um, if you look at the hospitals, you know, a lot of people are asking, well, what do the hospitals look like? What does it look like? I get that question a lot from patients as I um, touch base with them with, um, uh, you know, over telehealth uh, visits. So about 432 confirmed cases in the hospitals across the state right now. Uh, there's about 193 additional people who are suspected to have COVID-19 but are awaiting testing results. There are 162 confirmed uh, cases of COVID-19 in the ICUs across the state and 77 uh, confirmed cases on the ventilator. So uh, still, this is something, even as we have loosening of some uh, social distancing and opening of some businesses, um, do want to have that those numbers in the back of your mind that you, you really need to be careful. Uh, certainly a lot of people, I see a lot of people are sort of lackadaisical about it. That's certainly not anything to, uh, to loosen some of the protective measures that uh, we need people to continue to to uh, to adhere to so just keep that in mind as you're uh, as you're going out throughout the day um, uh, any kind of questions that people have about this please feel free to call in that's why southern remedy is here is to uh, is to uh, reach out to our our listeners and certainly that question it's always hard to be the first uh, person on the line but there's certainly a lot of a lot more time in the first half, half of the hour for any kind of questions that you might have about uh, your health care. And it can be a new medication maybe that you put on, you got put on recently and don't really understand why or want to ask about some side effects. It could be a new diagnosis or maybe some symptoms that haven't been diagnosed. Whatever your question is, doesn't have to be topic driven today, doesn't have to be COVID related. Uh, certainly anything that's related to your health care, you can call us with your questions or comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Along the same lines, uh, you know, the big news in the last couple of days is remdesivir. That's a hard one to say, but that's a, a antiviral medication that was originally uh, developed to try and treat Ebola. And the early uh, drug trials where it was tested really didn't have much effect on Ebola. Uh, so it was abandoned for that. But they picked it back up now. And in late February, there were a little over a thousand patients at 68 different sites worldwide. Forty seven of those were in the U.S. And in late February, a drug trial was started. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with how these work, basically um, it it, uh, it involved these thousand patients. Half of them were randomized to a placebo. Uh, that's a medication that looks like the remdesivir, but it's not actual remdesivir, and the other half got the remdesivir. And um, basically, they and, and we do that uh, to really show you really need that data. It may Some people may say, well, why don't we give everybody that? Because we really don't know what the effect would be uh, when compared to those people who got the placebo. So you really have to do that, and it takes time to do that. It takes weeks or months to get that information back. So now we're at the point where some of the information was returned from the uh, from those from that study, and it did show a 31 percent um, um, increase in recovery time. So in other words, those people who had particularly 
uh, COVID-19 with respiratory symptoms, that they uh, 31%, they had a 31% shorter time period for that uh, illness, uh, for the total amount of time that they were affected by it. Uh, so that was statistically significant. Now, the mortality risk was decreased. In other words, there were about 8% of the people who took the drug who died uh, versus 11.6% uh, of the people who were on the placebo or the control group. Uh, so that wasn't quite statistic, but it did show a trend toward a lower death rate in those individuals who were on the medication. So uh, now this drug has been recommended for emergency use by the FDA based on this early uh, drug trials. We still don't have a lot of data based on, it has to be given IV, so it's not really a pill. I said a pill earlier, but it, actually it's an IV medication. And uh, you, you really, we really don't know the, the optimal dosing of it even at this point. So there's still a lot of follow-up trials uh, that are going on uh, to try to tease that information out. Uh, another study that's starting up right now with, um, with uh, recruitment of individuals is one called the HERO study. That's H-E-R-O-S. So they haven't started it yet, but basically what they're trying to figure out is what is the transmission rate in children? So there's a lot of questions out there about children, a lot of misconceptions. A lot of people say, well, children aren't affected by this, but we really don't know the, the answer to the question, why aren't children showing the either severity or the symptoms of this, is it because that they're getting COVID-19, but they just are asymptomatic and then they can pass it on to other people, which would obviously be important to know. Or is there something about it that uh, their immune system that's a little bit different or the receptors that they have in their lungs, it's a little bit different in their respiratory passages that is, is protective against that. So they are uh, currently calling for about 6,000 people from about 2,000 U.S. families nationwide, and that's in about a, a dozen cities. Um, and they're going to follow these children over, or these, these uh, individuals and these families for over six months. Uh, they're looking at different uh, ways to collect this. So there's some respiratory uh, swabs to check for the actual viral particles or the viral DNA. Um, the other way to, to, um, to, uh, that they're interested in is antibodies to this. So there's actually a blood test that they're doing uh, as a follow-up. So that'll be interesting to see that. And hopefully that'll give us some information on how better to, to understand uh, not only how to treat it, but, uh, you know, some people may say, well, why are we studying this in children? Well, if they're getting it and they're able to spread it, but they just aren't showing symptoms, that would be very important to know that so that we can try to think about some ways that we can minimize the spread. So a lot of different trials going on. We're, we're in uh, here at, at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're uh, currently in, in nine different studies right now enrolling patients that, who were both hospitalized and out of the hospital to try to figure out ways that we can treat it, uh, different ways that we can look at uh, COVID-19 and, um, and to uh, attack it better. So uh, more news on that. I'll uh, try to keep everybody up to date week to week as things go on. But if you're interested, a lot more detail, I know a lot of you are very interested in this. If you go to the National Institute of Health's website, so that's the NIH.gov, and look in the coronavirus section. They've got a list of all the different research that's there. Uh, you can get as detailed as you want and have some uh, branch off points to other, uh, other online resources from there. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning taking your questions. Uh, If you have a question about anything that's on your mind about your health maybe it's uh how do i get this blood pressure under better control or how do i get my blood sugar under better control whatever those questions might be or comments that you might have you can give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. or if you're not able to call and still want to send those questions in you can always email us the Email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Do try to uh, take those emails from time to time, and uh, sometimes we'll have a complete show with those uh, program with uh, with those email questions. But sometimes we uh, share those uh, individually uh, with one of our live programs. Well, this is Nurses Week. Yes, right. So this begins Nurses Week, May 6th through May 12th is when we honor our nurses. Certainly, I work with a lot of nurses, respect them. I'm married to a nurse. Uh, you know what? Uh, physicians, uh, I've been overwhelmed at the responses for healthcare workers that, uh, that people have given. I know in my neighborhood, my neighbor's kids, uh, who is a physician, his kids ring their cowbells at 6 p.m. every night. Uh, and a lot of people have been driving by and waving, and uh, we certainly appreciate that as physicians. I know I do. But nurses, if you think about it, <clears throat> I mean, I think that nurses, I may be a little biased on this, but nurses receive uh, way too far compliments uh, on what they do. They really are undervalued, uh, I think, in, uh, in healthcare, and particularly during this time of COVID-19. Uh, a nurse is probably going to be the person who spends the most time in the room with a patient who has COVID-19, have the most exposure, have the most interaction with family members uh, in dealing with all the different emotional aspects of it. Uh, And you know what? They don't complain a whole lot. They just basically do their job and they're happy to do it. um, And they come to work every day. So if you know a nurse, um, somebody maybe that lives close or that you, uh, you have some friends or nurses, please tell them how much you appreciate them uh, this week. Maybe that's writing them a note or doing something special for them, ringing those bells for them as well. Hey, do that this week because we really appreciate our nurses. We could not 
uh, have uh, our health care for patients in the same way if we didn't have them there. So thanks to all of you nurses that make um, that make patients a little bit safer. All right, Dr. Jimmy, we've got our first caller on the line today. We have Kay on the line from Memphis. Good morning, Kay. Good morning. Do I have such an unusual voice? He knew who I was before I said anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you doing, Kay? Well, not so good in, in a way. Um, my question is around um, blood pressure. Uh-huh. It has it has been under good control. I have not been taking amlodipine for um, probably a year. Once or twice I took one when my blood pressure was up to the level that I thought I should. But um, now I am having trouble with my blood pressure. And I, the main thing I want to know is about amlodipine. I was told I should, not by a doctor, but by a medic that I should be taking it regardless and that my body would, I said, well, that put my blood pressure too low. And he said, well, your body will adjust to it. Well, I think that's malarkey. Uh, <laughs> how, how should I, how should I be taking, I, I check my blood pressure at least twice a day. So you probably remember I'm an old retired medical social worker. So I've, I've been in the field for many years. So, but anyway, what, what, what yeah, is I the rule? I think um, I think what you should do, Kay, is you really should um, talk with your physician first about that. Um, now, I, I am a little wary in, in patients who are older just because um, you can have those fluctuations in blood pressure. And you do want to make sure that even though controlling it um, you know, to optimal levels is, is important, you don't want to get it too low. And no, usually that too low, everybody wants to know, well, how low is that? What's the number? Well, it's different with different people in different situations. But generally speaking, for anybody, even if you're younger, if you're starting to get dizzy or lightheaded when you get up and down, uh, when you're getting from, you know, going from laying down to sitting up to standing up, then you really need to talk with your physician about whether or not you, he, he or she needs to uh, adjust that blood pressure medication. Uh, so you may have to, to bring it down a good bit. The other thing to keep in mind is that as you get older, the top number is actually the harder number to control. The bottom number decreases. And there's a number of physiologic reasons why that happens as you get older. Um, one of the main ones is a, is a loss of compliance of those vessels. They're less springy uh, as we get older. They're more like mm-hmm. a lead pipe. They're a lot stiffer. Um and you do have to be careful with that because you can have, if you get, again, if you're treating that top number and so fixated on it as a, as a healthcare uh, physician or, or, or NP, then you're going to drive that down to the point where the bottom number gets too low and you can have some dizziness and that can have all kinds of problems if you pass out, break a hip and all that kind of thing. Now, amlodipine is a very good blood pressure medicine. Uh, it is very long acting. So it's not one that if your blood pressure is higher, it's not really designed. Like, let's say that you're, you check in your blood pressure twice a day. The morning blood pressure was fine, but the afternoon was high. It is never designed to take that based on that one reading, because basically what you're doing is you're treating it for the next 36 hours. So, The medic is partially right in that you should try to get to a healthy medium where you stick to it. 
But um, so what happens is if you don't take it a couple of days and then take it another day, you're really treating it for the next day and a half. So you really can't you can't predict what your blood pressure is going to be a couple of days down the road. So I would get with your physician to try to find a healthy medium and then sort of stick to that rather than, you know, restarting it based on what your blood pressures are. And at least, you know, try to try to not do anything based on one blood pressure reading. You really should look at that blood pressure. I usually, with my patients who are, um, who are giving blood pressures, you know, back to me, um, I say, what was it over the last at least three to five days or a couple of weeks? So you want to see what those, those averages are across those time periods rather than making a decision based on one blood pressure. Does that make sense, Kay? Uh, yeah, but l- l- let me tell you. I, my cardiologist is aware of what I'm doing. He is an associate professor at the Tennessee school, anyway. Um, I think that's fine. If that's what he's told you to do, do that. Well, he's never told me anything otherwise when I have. It's only maybe once every three months or something that it goes up. And uh, I, I have not been taking amlodipine for a year and a half or more, and he's he is aware of that, and he knows. Yeah. I went in there. I know you need to talk to somebody else, but he went. I went in there one day, and I had been hustling, bustling to get there, and uh, he took me almost immediately, and my blood pressure was up to one ninety over. I don't remember what the diastolic was, but uh, he was concerned about. I said, well, just let me sit here for a few minutes, and it'll go down. So they brought me a Coke and some crackers, and I sat there about 15 minutes, and it had gone down 25 points. And he said, I see what you're, what you're saying. So it usually goes up only when I get in some kind of, you know, emotional bind or something of that sort. So, But the other has been working fine without it. I have not taken it more than once or twice, and I'm glad you told me that about it having the sustained effect. And that when I take it now, I, I'm not getting the real result, you know, the way yeah. you think I am. Yeah, I think what you're doing, Kay, is exactly right. So I would follow that sort of recipe if you want to, if you want to call it that, of your physician, and then uh, you know stick to that. And and I think all the points you brought up are good and can be helpful to other people. So, Kate, stay safe and uh, thank you for calling. We always uh, enjoy talking to you. Um, this is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy, with you live this morning, taking your calls. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You know, it's always. Uh, um, important to remember too that blood pressure goes up for other reasons so pain anxiety i've been talking to a lot of my patients who've had blood pressures to go up just because of all the increased stressors that are going on and sometimes particularly if it's a really um uh if it's a really uh big stressor and and the response to that is a lot of anxiety you may need to treat the anxiety with a different type of medication and a lot of times the blood pressure will come down so just need to talk to your physician or whoever's treating your blood pressure for that and uh, uh, keep in mind that there may be some other things that may be making your blood pressure go up and down. A lot of different stuff. Diet, exercise, all those kinds of things. Uh, we talked about a couple of issues with, uh, with COVID-19. You know, something else to keep in mind, particularly as we have um, different aspects of the health 
care delivery that are open back up. For in other words, a lot of the places have uh, had to scale back due to, um, you know, due to, to resource allocation, to protective equipment uh, resources. So a lot of the things that weren't happening, like um, elective surgeries uh, and even physicians' appointments, uh, they're starting to we're starting to ramp that up in the state. So cancer screening is one of those. So in the three months that we've, you know, not had a lot of cancer screening, that equates to about eighty thousand people in the United States that haven't been screened appropriately for cancer. So don't forget about that. Um, I know I'm I've got that on my radar with a lot of my patients and saying, okay, we need to schedule those things coming up. Uh, you might want to keep a log yourself that would help out your physician about different things that have come up, like immunizations and cancer screenings, uh, to help uh, as things sort of ramp back up with health delivery. That's one of the, the concerns that we have is that because we're focusing so much on COVID-19, we're not able to uh, deliver a lot of the routine care for other medical conditions that we have in the past. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, taking your questions or comments. Uh, plenty of time for you to call in. We'd encourage you to call 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. Or if you can't call right now, you can always send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. A lot of listeners uh, do uh, ask us from time to time, hey, I missed a question uh, or I came in late on the program. We realize that not everybody is able to listen to the entire hour. Um, and they ask about whether or not they can get uh, and listen to something again. You can do that if you go to MPB Online. You can uh, search for Southern Remedy, and we do archive all of our, uh, our, our shows, and you can listen to what you missed or uh, maybe just uh, check in on that. Um, so it's MPB Online, and just look for the archive programs under the heading Southern Remedy. So um, a lot of different things um, have been looked at with COVID-19. One of the other issues that I believe uh, several weeks ago we had a listener call in about was an early concern about using a, if uh, you had a hypertension and were on an ACE inhibitor, those are things like lisinopril or an ARB, angiotensin receptor blocker, things like Losartan, uh, those 
uh, patients, there were some early concerns that maybe they had worse outcomes with COVID-19. Uh, there is a, a study looking at that. Some of the more recent evidence is that there's not uh, an, a risk there. There's actually some evidence that, um, you know, just observational evidence that ACE inhibitors might be a little pro- uh, protective in those cases. So uh, lots more information as, uh, as we're learning more and more about COVID-19, about what's good, what's bad, what are the best outcomes with that. Uh, another thing in the news that I thought everybody would be um, be interested in is, you know, diabetes is such a big player in cardiovascular disease. So it is such a big risk factor uh, if you have the diagnosis of diabetes, particularly with kidney disease. Uh, you know, type 2 diabetes is the most, uh, the biggest risk factor for uh, chronic kidney disease, kidney damage. Uh, and end-stage renal disease in the world. And uh, there's a lot of new medications that are out there, certainly good type glucose control and trying to get your your blood sugar down uh, in as close as possible to the normal range is one of the goals of therapy. But beyond that, there are a number of classes of medications. And one of the ones that we've talked about on Southern Remedy before are the SGLT2 inhibitors. Uh, I'm not going to say what that stands for because it's way too long, but the SGLT2 inhibitors are some of the medications that have been looked at, not just for blood sugar control, but also what kind of uh, other protective effects. A lot of the studies uh, have not been designed in a uh, placebo-type fashion, uh, but there are some of the newer studies, uh, particularly in the Credence study, um, uh, which just came out, um, they were looking specifically if adding this to those patients with type 2 diabetes and chronic kidney disease, they had better outcomes than with placebo. Uh, so uh, the uh, particular uh, SGLT2 inhibitor that they used was canaglifoxin uh, 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 is the name of it. Um, so that was approved in September of 2019 for additional indications other than just diabetes like in-stage kidney disease. So a lot of good effects that they saw. So there were decreases not only in blood sugar, but also blood pressure, uh, some small but um, significant uh, decreases in weight, and a decrease in the amount of protein, the small amounts of protein, which is called albuminuria. Albumin is just a type of protein uh, in the urine. So all those were beneficial effects on kidney outcomes. So just another, this is, a, a, again, a lot of, uh, of uh, interest in this group of diabetic medications and trying to slow the progression to end-stage renal disease in these patients. And this is just another positive outcome from that. All right, uh, Dr. Stewart, we've got another caller on the line. We've got Stephanie in Louisiana. Good morning, Stephanie. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, I just wanted to ask, I had a um, seizure recently. Um, uh, in February, and they put me on a drug. Sorry, I sound kind of dizzy because I am. They put me on this drug called Keppra. Uh huh. Um, and it's you know dry mouth, dry eyes, um, dizziness, depression. Um, they put. I had a seizure 30 years ago when I had a car accident. My head slammed into the window, but it this just came up. And I think it was just like they say, it's 
caused by depression and stress. You know, I lost my priest. He died um, four days before. And my mom had a double mastectomy and my sister was sick. And anyway, um, so it, 30 years ago, they put me on Dilantin, mm-hmm. which, you know, made my hair fall out, which is whatever. And now they have me on this Tepra, and it's just, um, you know, I, I cut the dose down to a half of what they've told me to take. So, um, and that's what the nurse advised because the the full dose, I mean, I'm not that big of a person. I'm kind of small. And it was just too much. It was 500 milligrams. And so, anyway, um, I don't know. Can you give me advice? Yeah, so uh, you've mentioned a couple of the problems with um, or a couple of the adverse side effects of the seizure medications. And uh, a lot of seizure medications are very good. Keppra is a, is a good one. It's a newer uh, seizure medication. You mentioned Dilantin and certainly hair falling out is a, you know, one, of the, one of the more uh, common side effects with that, particularly in women. Uh, it can have a lot of other side effects as well. Um, Keppra tends to be better. However, it's not without side effects itself. So sleepiness or somnolence, up to 20% of patients can have that. It, it is uh, dose-related, so decreasing the dose uh, would be the, one of the first steps to try to see if that, if that makes things a little bit better as far as the sleepiest, and a lot of sleepiness. But a lot of the patients um, who take it improve after taking it with time. Um, you know, part of the thing about dosing of seizure medications is you want the lowest dose that a patient can can have, can take, uh, to control seizures. So, you know, the goal is to have no seizures um, or to decrease seizures in a patient sometimes. But to do that, you want the lowest dose possible so that you can avoid side effects. Now, usually up front, they, most of the time, they may put you on doses or a little bit more than what you end up with, and then they can sort of taper down. And there are some situations where they might can remove that completely. Um, but Stephanie, I would, I would give this a, a shot about, you know, the lower dose for at least a week or two, and then to see if that, if you, you know, if the, the somnolence, if the sleepiness goes away and the drowsiness, uh, if not, they may can do, because you're down to pretty much a lower dose on the medication right now, they may want to try a different type of medication. There are certainly other medications to treat seizures. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, is not all seizures are alike. There are certain types of seizures that respond better to certain medications. Um, but I would probably advise sticking with it for at least another week and then touching base with your neurologist uh, with your your clinic and just say hey you know if I'm if you're still having those drowsiness symptoms they might can um, they might can uh, change to something different. But is is there a vitamin natural that I can take? Not really. Um, now there, there's never really like if you have a true seizure disorder there's not really a, a homeopathic or natural uh, you know supplement that's ever it's been vitamin yeah uh, proven. <laughs> proven to, you know, to, to decrease those. 
Uh, now, okay. we do know you, you brought up some of the things that can lower your seizure threshold. In other words, sort of bring these seizures out. Stress, you mentioned, certainly that can do it. Illness, yeah. fever, um, decreased sleep. Uh, certain stimuli, like a lot of people will have seizures with flashing lights. You may have seen, you know, some, if you go to a concert or you can go to an amusement park and those kinds of things, they'll have some, uh, some warnings in some areas because of flashing lights. Even TV shows and movies sometimes will have that. So the, all those things can trigger it. And as far as preventing it, other than trying to stay as healthy as possible, uh, there's not really a whole lot else that you can take that, you know, it, and, and not have to take the, the seizure medication. But I would, I would just, you, your neurologist is going to be sensitive to those kinds of things because that's, uh, again, that, those are common side effects with these medications. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I tried to speak with him about it. Um, but I think he was out skeet shoot, shooting or duck hunting or whatever. And um, he was no help. So, well, I always, you know, I always advise patients, look, if you're getting nowhere with your with your physician like that, you might want to try another one. I know neurologists, we don't have a lot in the state, but, um, you know, you really need to have that, that good relationship with them. And at least the communication avenues where if you have problems that you can contact them. Yeah. Well, I, I think I, I'm not even sure how I got this neurologist, but because I was so confused and anyway, um, he did say, uh, you know, after $40,000 worth of two days in the hospital, St. Dom's, uh, he, he said, well, at least I can see you didn't have, you don't have a tumor or a cyst or anything in your brain. So I guess that was worth it. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, the workup for these is fairly extensive. So it involves, it, you know, as you know, um, it, it involves a lot of imaging, um, a lot of test, um, you know, blood test and lab test and uh, EEG monitoring. So it's, it is, it's not cheap. You're right. It's certainly not. But uh, you do have to rule those other things out. So a mass or different, you know, architectural uh, the actual anatomy that's changed in the brain, whether that be from a tumor or for something else, you have to know those kinds of things because it's a little bit different in how you treat that. And of course, if it's a tumor, you'd want to know about that. But um, that's not too uncommon, unfortunately. But uh, I wish there was a quick way we could do do that. Seizures are fairly common. Um, if you look at the total population, about 5% of everybody will have seizures of some sort. Uh, some of them are more benign than others and more controlled than others. But, um, I, you know, Stephanie, I, I would I would say maybe you need to, to, if you're not getting anywhere with that one physician, you might need to look for another one. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. 
hosted in legal terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, taking your questions or comments. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you uh, are not able to call in this morning and maybe have a question that you want to think about and submit, you can certainly do that via email. Our email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. So other things in the news, you know, news has gotten eclipsed by COVID. It's not like other things have totally shut down. So there's a lot of other research going on uh, in other areas. Everybody wants to ask about hydroxychloroquine, you know, about using that. That was one of the first medications that were looked at uh, for uh, for treating COVID-19. Not really good data yet with that. So one of the things that hydroxychloroquine, which is a medication that was designed uh, early on for malaria, but uh, then was um, uh, used for autoimmune diseases, particularly lupus and rheumatoid arthritis are the two most common uses of it now. Uh, One of the other uh, side effects, though, that you can have with this is a heart rhythm abnormality, uh, which is is called a QTC interval prolongation. And that's one of the things that they've seen with its use in a lot of the trials. So it's not really uh, uh, recommended to do that, certainly not recommended. A lot of people, I know even a lot of physicians are, unfortunately, prescribing this uh, and it really can be dangerous in patients and certainly does not really cause a, uh, a, a protective effect in those patients who are taking it. Other, um, other things in the news in cardiology, um, heart failure is something that a lot of people have. Certainly, we have more than our fair share uh, in, in the state. But what about uh, different types of heart failure? So there's this is a little bit of difficult uh, topic to for a lot of people to understand. You know, we, we know that there are different types of heart failure, sort of the classic type of heart failure is when your heart is damaged to the point where it doesn't pump as strongly as possible, particularly to the, the rest of your body. So the left side of the heart doesn't work quite as well. And it really is a weakened pump problem. And a lot of the medications that we use Uh, are to offload the heart to decrease the blood pressure, but there's also uh, medications that are used to help with remodeling of that heart muscle to try to make it more efficient in pumping. Uh, The other type of heart failure, though, is actually uh, as common, if not more common, than the systolic type, and that's diastolic dysfunction, or heart failure with preserved function. Uh, and it's, it's a very common, often underdiagnosed condition in older individuals. It can be really sneaky in how it uh, presents in older individuals. It can be something as, um, as, um, as mild as just a little bit of shortness of breath or 
a little bit more difficulty doing the no normal daily activities uh, that you do. Uh, and uh, it can also cause a lot of other effects. So if you're not, and really it's a relaxation problem of the heart muscle. So it's not so much that your heart can't pump forcefully. It's that the, the, uh, the pressure inside the heart is higher because of a, a heart muscle that's uh, that's lost its compliance. It's lost its its ability to fill up appropriately uh, with blood to sort of load the chamber so that they can pump. One of the areas that they've looked at, particularly in older individuals, is cognitive decline. Um, and you know, certainly as we get older, uh, our patients are uh, very concerned about this. Everybody sort of fixates on. Alzheimer's, but there's certainly a lot of other causes of cognitive decline and dementia. And a new study uh, uh, that was just reported on this month uh, looked at diastolic heart failure, diastolic dysfunction, and saw that there was an increased risk of cognitive decline. So certainly pays off if you if you do have you know any kind of um, um, symptoms of shortness of breath, maybe some lower extremity swelling. Uh, what we call dyspnea on exertion or just shortness of breath when you do something, uh, you need to talk to your doctor about that. They may need to get a test. It's fairly easy to diagnose this in most patients. Uh, now we really are pretty adept at doing that non-invasively uh, and can, uh, can certainly treat this to try to decrease the risk of not just all the heart, uh, heart failure um, um, negative effects, but also of cognitive decline. So Jay is with us this morning. Kevin couldn't be here. Jay, you're holding out in uh, this COVID crisis. Oh, I lost Jay. I'm sorry. I was I was around the corner <laughs> talking about a, some my, technical stuff. My bad. But I heard you reference Jay, to me, and I ran back into the uh, the control booth here. <laughs> sorry to give you a heart attack. No, that's okay. I needed the exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I think everybody is struggling with different ways to do things right now. I know we've been, uh, you know, as, as most people know, we've been Skyping in. And uh, it's certainly a lot different from me, even though it's radio, just seeing uh, seeing people like Jay White and Kevin Farrell in the studio and uh, having that interaction with them. It certainly changes the dynamics of how you uh, how you broadcast a program. It well, does. We do it's, appreciate it's, everybody. It's, yeah, it's right? strange. It's strange. Yeah. The recluse in me loves it, but uh, when I'm on my medicine and everything's working right, I miss everybody. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, even the the ways that we can connect. You know, there's a lot of good psychological studies coming out of the the um, underlying effects of why when we, uh, you know, when we zoom into a meeting or when we WebEx, it's so different. You lose a lot of that. Even if you're looking at somebody, you know, I've heard people say, "I'm just looking at myself." Uh, in my little <laughs> in my little panel the whole day long, uh, and it, I'm way too fixated on that. But even the way that, that group dynamics in meetings, um, you really, uh, it's, it's sort of staccato, you know, it's sort of a, a, a little bit of, a, a, of those pauses that you, would, that you normally uh, wouldn't have in those conversations, and that can affect you. I, I know a lot of, uh, uh, most of my, meetings that I've had were switched over to that format, and um, it, it is tiring in different ways. It really is mentally tiring. I do want to say something for all of our listeners. If you, if you are, you know, experiencing certainly 
anxiety, depression, please reach out to your physician at this time. Uh, and also, uh, you know, it was it is real easy for a lot of people who already have some inclinations in this area. You know, substance abuse problems. Certainly, there's a lot of stressors. People are at home. They have different activities that they're, they're doing or lack of activities. Um, it, be careful with that. Uh, reach out to people if you think you're having a substance abuse problem to uh, get help from those around you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.